hot flashes, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Ladies, what if I told you that all of these symptoms of menopause didn't have to happen? Hey everybody, Dr. Wenzel here, host of the Concierge Medicine Show. This show exists to give you real conversations to have with your doctor in 30 minutes or less. Welcome to episode 16. And this is part four of a seven-part hormone series that we are bringing everything you need to know about hormone replacement therapy, the myths, the truths, and what you need to be doing to give yourself not only the best chance to live a long time, but to live a long time feeling really good. In today's episode, we are going to jump into uh, arguably probably one of the most controversial topics, not only in uh, women's health, but potentially in all of medicine. And that is estrogen therapy for women who are postmenopausal. So before we get started here, I think it's fair as we do in most shows is to frame this out with defining some terms, really getting some understanding to on, on some basic level before we move along in some more complex uh, um, thoughts uh just to make sure we're all on the same page. So what is estrogen? So estrogen is another one of these hormones that we have been talking about that's massively important in the life and well-being of a female. Uh, it is produced, uh, like many of the other hormones we've discussed, uh, both in the ovaries of a woman and in the adrenal glands. Um, and what happens premenopausal is that your estrogen uh, is uh, very important. It shows up for women somewhere around 11 to 13. Women begin, their bodies begin to shape. Uh, they begin to have periods. And this cycle of uh, ovulation and menses and having babies, and this is all really regulated by um in large part, two hormones, estrogen on the front half of a woman's cycle and progesterone on the back half of a woman's cycle. We'll talk about progesterone uh, much more next week as we continue our series. But this week, we're talking about estrogen. And, and as the front half of a woman's cycle uh, is playing out, estrogen levels rise and then ovulation occurs at the peak of estrogen levels. And then after ovulation, there's a precipitous fall in estrogen as progesterone begins to rise. And if pregnancy takes place, the progesterone continues to rise. And progesterone is what we call the, the hormone of pregnancy, progestation, pro-pregnancy. Progesterone is, is the hormone of pregnancy. Um, and again, we'll talk about that next week, but estrogen levels fall and never come back on the scene during pregnancy until you uh, deliver the baby. And then once again, the estrogen level starts to rise again. And during this rise of estrogen, 
what is happening physiologically is that a woman's uterus is becoming ready for implantation of um, a baby. And so each month, the woman's womb begins to become prepared. It becomes thick and rich with nutrients and blood flow, ready for baby to come. You ovulate. If it doesn't happen within three days that it finds sperm and a baby uh, is created and that is implanted into the uterus or the womb, then as estrogen levels fall and progesterone shows up, your uterine lining is what we call sloughed. And this is where we have a period. And this happens each and every month of a woman's life unless she's on unless she's pregnant or unless she is on some sort of birth control that would halt that process. And what happens is, is that for two or three decades, this is what happens. And usually around the five-year window out from menopause, which would be defined as the ovaries kind of retire. They stop producing estrogen, which means you stop having uh, the uterine lining, uh, becoming rich with nutrients, preparing for implanting. You're getting far or farther away from your childbearing age. And eventually your ovaries will shut down, which means there will be no more estrogen. Well, what happens is that doesn't usually happen overnight. There is a precipitous fall of your uh, ovaries as a woman to produce enough estrogen to make you feel balanced, optimal, and women begin to feel what we call perimenopausal, where you start getting some irregularity with your periods. Um, you start getting these hot flashes. You start getting moody and weight gain, bloated, foggy thinking, all of these horrible symptoms that we attribute to the, the change or transitioning or uh, there's all kinds of cultural names that we, we call this, this transition that every woman goes through. Uh, typically happens around 50 to 55 and there are usually a few years prior to this where you become what we call peri or around menopause where you start intermittently having these symptoms and and they're horrible i mean they're 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 miserable and um uh and 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 in the short term they're miserable and horrible long term there are devastating effects of not having adequate or optimized estradiol levels in your blood as a female which put, which put you at risk for a plethora of diseases that we're going to dive into today. So um, in today's show, I'm going to be talking really at length about what are the most important risk factors that are in play when you ignore replacing that estrogen after you have reached menopause. And this is so much more than hot flashes, so much more than the moodiness or the weight gain or the bloating. This is about the long-term devastating effects of having suboptimal estradiol levels in our female population. It is a massive deal. And frankly, there is tremendous confusion around this for a lot of reasons, but I hope today also in the show to really unpack at least in the in the sake of, for the sake of the show and the time re restraints that I want to keep it under I want to unpack what I believe to be the number one contributor to confusion around this topic so where did all this confusion come from 
I'm going to suggest that in the spring of 2003, everything kind of changed. This is where we published, uh, we received a published study called the Women's Health Initiative Trial. And this is where we, um, this was a long uh, study. It was very, very um, uh, well done. There was, uh, it was large um, and, and it really kind of rocked the world of um, healthcare, uh, women's health, specifically as it pertains to how we treat and deal with women who are going through menopause. And the, the basic premise of the study was to look at the effects of hormone replacement therapy uh, and long-term side effects. And they had three arms of a study. One was um, estrogen only, one was progesterone, one was progesterone and estrogen together. However, before I go into this, I need to be very clear that the Women's Health Initiative did not use progesterone and estradiol. They did not use bioidentical, the exact same molecule as being produced by a woman's ovary in the first place. The chemical compounds that they used were something called Prempro and Provera. Provera is a synthetic estrogen and Prempro is a synthetic progestin or progesterone. And so they looked at Provera, Prempro, I'm sorry, they looked at Provera, Premrin, and Prempro. Prempro was the combo of the Premrin and Provera. I know that gets confusing, but basically they had a synthetic progesterone, synthetic estrogen, and then a synthetic combination. What was found was that all of the dramatic side effects that made them stop all of the studies were found in the Prempro, the combination of synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone. And when they fleshed out all the data in the study, the synthetic progestins, the progesterone, the synthetic progesterone was actually the culprit. It was causing an increased risk in breast cancer. It was causing uh, uh, stroke uh, clots. Uh, it was stopped. That arm was stopped. And what's interesting to me is that when you, that was the combo arm. When you look at just the, even even though it's synthetic, they were looking at Premarin, the synthetic estrogen. And the only increased risk, even in this study, was in women who were over 65, there was a slight increase in stroke. That's it. That's the only side effect, the negative outcome that they found from the world, uh, the Women's Health Initiative trial. What's an interesting aside is that the levels of uh, Premarin, synthetic estrogen, given in that arm that caused the increased risk of stroke in women only over 65, that's the only subgroup that they found it in, is less synthetic estrogen or Premarin than we give many women today in synthetic oral contraceptives. We currently give women in birth control pills more synthetic estrogen than we did even in the trial. The reason I'm bringing this up is because not only was the progestin isolated as the problem in the Women's Health Initiative, but the synthetic estrogen really didn't cause a very significant problem. 
the summation, the, the, the sum consequence of this trial was that estrogen was the problem and that estrogen caused breast cancer and that women, postmenopausal women should not take estrogen because of the increased risk of breast cancer. That's not what the data say. And what's been extrapolated is that this synthetic estrogen that didn't cause the problem but got blamed for the problem is now being extrapolated that all hormones, specifically all estrogen therapy, increases risk of breast cancer. It's nonsense and it's caused a whirlwind of confusion and it is absolutely the number one contributor to women suffering through menopause, not being treated, and suffering the long-term consequences of not having adequate optimization of estradiol. I don't want to rant too much on the, the Women's Health Initiative, but I, it, it's very important that we fit this into this discussion in the tight window that we have because this is the, this is the backbone of the whole narrative. So... Um, what's also been interesting as we continue to look through data is that there have been three subsequent, uh, studies showing and confirming that yes, indeed, progestins, synthetic progesterone are in fact highly, highly, uh, problematic and that they absolutely increase risk for cancer development in three subsequent studies. They are a big problem. Um, so essentially what has happened is that through this mass confusion, the, the, the mass media, uh, has, has misrepresented based on misinterpretation of data, the, the effect and risks of taking estrogen. And we know how the story ends. The story ends with any woman who's over 50 years old and suffering from menopause or any woman who's postmenopausal who wants to feel better in their life and, and meet so much resistance and so much negativity and so much, um, th th there is just so much confusion that most women just end up believing, well, I guess, I guess I'm supposed to just kind of wither away and, and feel the way I feel until I'm not alive anymore. And it is absolutely um, inappropriate. And, and I encourage you to do your own self-study on this. Um, and, 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 and we'll get into some of the conversations that I think you need to be having with your doc. And I hope that was meaningful for you. Um, you know, because the, the, the big take home point is that estrogen replacement in the form of estradiol, which is the form that your ovaries make when you were a young, vibrant woman who made you feel like a woman, are the exact reason why you feel so bad during menopause and why for the rest of your adult life, you will be put at risk. You need estradiol to be at optimal levels or you will be uh, at harm's way. The risk factors include Alzheimer's dementia, heart disease, osteoporosis, um, and a plethora of other um, uh, issues. So, Premarin, what got blamed in the Women's Health Initiative, first of all, was wrongly blamed. But they have not only wrongly blamed synthetic estrogen called Premarin, they have extrapolated that all estrogens are bad. 
it's just, it's infuriating. And I, it pains me that women are suffering because of misinterpretation of data. Um, I, I think that this is a huge deal for any woman who's postmenopausal. Here are the conversations that I think you need to be having with your doctor. Number one, who gets estrogen replacement and do I qualify? Um, estrogen replacement is not for women who are still having periods because by definition, if you're having periods, you have estrogen. You don't, that's a problem. You don't want to go down. That's completely inappropriate and not something you should ever pursue. Once you've had menopause and you're beginning to have the symptoms of menopause, this is where the discussion needs to be had with your physician. Um, and I believe that unless there's an obvious contraindication, all postmenopausal women should be pursuing an optimization of their estradiol levels. I just do. The data is clear. 50 years of good studies, hundreds of them showing no increased risk using bioidentical estradiol. Um, there are lots of risk in the synthetic world, which we've well established are not the same as bioidentical. And we need to next um, identify any risk factors that are obvious. And so I will make a blanket statement and say, if you have a history of breast cancer or a family history of breast cancer, you probably should not just jump into, uh, definitely if you have a history personally of breast cancer, I really feel like at this point, my stance, uh, based on the data and my, my, my sense, my understanding is I would not pursue it. I, I think the risks are way too high. And so many breast cancers are estrogen sensitive, um, which means the estrogen doesn't cause the breast cancer, but it's like putting fuel on the fire. Should you have an estrogen sensitive breast cancer? I think it is a no-go. I think you should not do it. It gets a little gray in the world of if you have a family history of breast cancer, I think that you need to take the the, the situation on a totality basis, you need to really dig into your other risk factors and have your mammograms and you need to have um, potentially some genetic marker testings um, to really flesh out your risk profile, measure the risk versus the benefits, and then make a decision with your doctor. Do not do this on your own and do not just jump into it. If you have a family history, you really need to pause and consider. Okay. Um, the third conversation is around your levels, right? What are my levels? What are, what are the, what's the goal? Where am I at? And where will I be optimal? Well, again, a premenopausal woman has estrogen. A postmenopausal woman doesn't have ovaries, so they don't have estrogen. So the normal estrogen level for a 62-year-old is zero. That's not optimal. So when we pursue optimization, we pursue levels that mirror when you were the best version of you. And that for human beings is around 25. So when we look at premenopausal women, depending on where they are in their cycle, obviously it changes as they approach mid cycle, it's going to be its highest. Uh, as you, uh, as you uh, end up having your period at the end of the cycle, your estrogen levels are at its lowest, but the window of estrogen for women is somewhere around 50 on the low end up to about 400 on the high end. That is a normal premenopausal swing. 
from 50 to 400 back down to 50 up to 400 back down to 50 and kind of anywhere in between depending on when in the cycle you're checking which is why checking your levels if you're premenopausal is useless because i don't know what that means it doesn't mean anything you 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 cannot trust your levels in a premenopausal woman because you're still cycling so this is really a discussion for postmenopausal women when it comes to estrogen um but the goal in a postmenopausal woman is 75 to 100 this is where women not only feel the best and the symptoms go away, but the data are clear that your risk profile for osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, et cetera, all go down with an optimized level of 75 to 100. So I hope that helps and doesn't confuse you more. I hope that it can point you in the right direction in regard to how you want to pursue this uh, and certainly I hope that it provides some framework for you discussing this with people you love and care about. And hopefully this conversation gets into your doctor's office and you guys can have some meaningful chats about what this means for you and what you can be doing today to not only feel better, but make yourself healthier and push disease down the road and feel good while you're alive for a long time. That's the goal. And that's what hormones will let you do. You just got to make sure that you take a systematic approach that you're doing it as safely as possible and as intelligently as possible. So I hope this helped you. I hope that um, you can share this with anybody you think would find valuable. Uh, like, like the episode and uh, give us a review if you feel inclined. I'd love to know what you think about it. Uh, be sure to leave us some comments about what you think and if there's any other topics you'd like us to dive into in future episodes. Um, I'm looking forward to next week, which will be part five of our series where we're going to be talking about progesterone replacement in women. This is going to be an episode you don't want to miss and it will feel um, right in line with as uh, our other episodes in this whole series. I'm really excited and the feedback has been phenomenal so far. Um, it's been a pleasure putting this together for you and delivering it. I, I just hope you, you enjoy it as much as I do uh, creating it. So until we meet next week, I hope you have a great week. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for watching the show. I'm sure it goes without saying, but I feel compelled to share with you. Obviously, I want to help uh, as many people as possible. Um, but before you make any medical changes, please, please consult with your physician. Don't do any of this on your own. Um, you don't want to put yourself in any harm's way. And um, again, thanks a bunch for watching the show. If you have any questions or comments, again, please leave them and we'll get back to you. Take care.